Okay, so the reading today is Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be reading the whole of chapter 1. And I would say we've got Bibles at the back. They're available in English and other languages. Uh, God speaks all languages, so do grab a Bible in the language that is best for you. So, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make to you to make the sea count down for us? Pick me up and throw me in the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to look at that uh, passage together. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, starting a new series, as we said. Thank you so much, Helen Francis, for reading it uh, to us. We are uh, going to think about this question. What a great question um, for us to have. How big is your God? How big is your God? It's a great question. Really, wherever you're coming from, whatever faith background or none, um, it's a great question to ask yourself. How big is your God, uh, whether you feel you have a God or not? Um, And we're going to come at it from two angles as we go through this passage, because they're kind of here as this story begins. One is to look at the Bible. So often the Bible does. It gives us a very big view of God, of who he is, his character, what he's like. Um, And we're going to look at it through the character of Jonah. Jonah, legendary figure. You may well have heard of him, even if you don't know much about the Bible. Jonah, and we'll think about his small view of God. 
and that contrast that we get as this story unfolds. So we'll start with a big view of God, but what do I mean by big? What do I mean by big when I say it? Because it could mean a number of things. In the story here, if you have a look at the beginning, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Imagine yourself in the grandest courtroom that you've ever seen or been in. A courtroom with a judge, and here he says there's this place, Nineveh, and its wickedness, its evil has come up before me. The case is before me. And when I say big, what do I mean by big? I mean partly, I mean he is sovereign. God is sovereign. He is in charge. He is in control over everything and everyone. And so here is this courtroom scene where it has come up before him because he is in control, in charge of everything and everyone. Now, later on, as we go through the story into the next few weeks, we'll also see it also, how big is your God? Big is also talking about the scope of God's mercy and his compassion for people. Uh, We'll come on to that in due course. It's also talking about his scope of his mercy, how wide uh, uh, that extends. But how big is your God? Particularly these things, his sovereignty, his control, and his mercy. And there are as we look at his, how, how much he is in control of things, we see it in three quick ways um, through the, 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 the way this story opens. Um, firstly, we see that he is in control over followers and enemies. Followers and enemies. Now, you need to have a little bit of the background to make sense of this story, just um, who Jonah is. Sarah was telling us a little bit about him. Jonah actually comes up in uh, another part of the Bible, 2 Kings, uh, chapter, 24, uh, chapter 14, um, and I don't know what you know about prophets other than their facial hair, um, but that they uh, often prophets were those who were, they were uncomfortable for the leadership of a country. And so uh, Israel, God's people's prophets, were frequently, they, were, uh, they would come and they would be critical of their own nation. They would tell them the ways in which they're not following God. They would be uh, an uncomfortable presence. But Jonah, actually, you would have described him differently. Jonah was more of a, a, a patriot, um, a sort of loyal follower, a good example of a lot. He, he spoke about the, uh, the expansion of God's people. He spoke very positively and warmly. Um, uh, here's a, a quotation from uh, a writer, Tim Keller, who talks about uh, they would have remembered Jonah, the first readers, as intensely patriotic, a highly partisan nationalist. Make God's people great again. He was that kind of figure. Epitome of a follower, one of God's people. That was, uh, uh, there he was, and so God is sovereign over him. But equally, we find from the opening that he is uh, sovereign. He's in charge of God's enemies, God's apparent enemies. So um, what do you need to know about Nineveh? It's the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Vast, strong empire. They were brutal. Uh, they were a violent war machine which moved across the region at different points. The accounts of the kind of violence, the kind of things that they did to people, they took no prisoners, they are, are, are sobering. A, you know, a vast war machine, uh, uh, intensely destructive. Shortly after Jonah's life, they will actually sweep in across, down into um, uh, where God's people were, and they will completely obliterate the, the northern kingdom. They'll deport, they'll destroy, uh, they'll move through uh, as though they were nothing. And they are the epitome, if you like, of opponents, enemies of God's people. But God, he says, I'm in charge of the whole world. I'm in charge of followers. I'm in charge of enemies. 
There's nobody I'm not in charge of. Uh, in charge, and not only that, of empires and individuals. So here you have the Assyrian Empire, and if you imagine the cinematography for this, you've got, first, first you have this kind of vast wide shot to imagine the, the grand city of uh, Nineveh, um, all its people, its power, its prestige, and, and God is the God of, of great nations, empires even, and then also of individuals, of, uh, of little Jonah. And you imagine a different kind of shot, more a sort of drone shot that just sort of follows little Jonah as he goes down to Joppa and gets down into the boat and goes down below deck. And he's the God of great nations and little people like Jonah. Uh, he's sovereign over followers and enemies, over empires and individuals. He's, he's sovereign over the land and the sea. Now, Sarah showed us the map. It's quite striking, isn't it? God said, go east over land. Uh, a little way towards Nineveh. So Jonah thought, oh, I'll go west over the sea for as far as I can. Um, and it's as, almost as though you kind of sense that Jonah is saying, well, you know, you might not know, uh, in Bible times, Jonah, uh, the sea is a place of kind of chaos, uncertainty, so maybe that's where God won't be able to get me if I go that way. So I'll go the other way, and I'll go towards the sea, because he probably can't reach me there. But actually what we read in verse 4 um, as he heads down to Tarshish um, to flee from the Lord, the Lord then sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The word for he sent is the, the word hurled. He hurled a storm at Jonah. So Jonah thinks, hey, I'll go, I'll go to the sea where God can't get me. And, and God goes, hang on, and throws a, a storm at him. He's the, the God of land and sea. What he's trying to say, you see, the opening few verses set the scene. This courtroom, it's come up before him. He's the God in control of the whole world. He controls geography. He controls nature. He controls civilization. He controls humanity. He controls morality. There's nothing that he doesn't uh, extend over. Which is what makes Jonah's actions so kind of interesting, <laughs> Given that's the sense that the Bible gives us so often of God and his compass and his scope. And so Jonah here, Jonah has a small view of God. Jonah has a small view. Now, what do I mean when I, when I say that? When, when I say he has a small view of God, I'm talking about the fact that he thinks he can get away from God. And there's a really fun um, kind of word play that's going on in the opening here, which um, when you see it, you kind of can enjoy it. Um, God says, uh, Jonah, get up. And go to Nineveh, because the Ninevites, their wickedness, their evil, has come up before me. So you get it says, come up, these things have come up before me. But he says, the writer then says, Jonah decided he would go down. Jonah's going to go down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat, below deck. And it even says he goes down into this kind of deep sleep, almost like a kind of stupefying, completely knocked out kind of sleep. So God is saying that all this, you know, uh, uh, these things have come up and Jonah does the exact opposite, as though he can get away from this God, as though he can kind of hide, as though he can ignore, rebel against, defy, in some way uh, be out of sight of this great God. And he has a small view of God. And what the, the story as it unfolds, it gives us a sense of what that looks like for Jonah. What exactly does a small view of, of God look like? Again, three quick things that it brings us. We see, first of all, in Jonah, he has, he has no mercy. No mercy like God has mercy. A small view of God in him actually brings out that he has no mercy. We, now, I don't want to preempt too much where we're going with the series. Because in chapter 4... 
And we will learn that Jonah tells us exactly why he ran away when God did this. He tells us exactly why he ran away, and he ran away because he knows God is compassionate, he knows God is gracious, he knows God is going to be merciful, and if he goes and tells these horrible Ninevites about him, that he may well be, he may well be merciful to them. And Jonah is like, not on my watch. I have no mercy whatsoever for them. They are our enemies. I know what you're like, Lord. I know you'll let them off the hook. I know you'll pro- probably forgive them. This is not happening. And Jonah actually has no mercy in the way that God has mercy. And it's interesting, this is what, what you, you kind of get. A small view of God is a mindset that says, God is for me and not for thee. God is for me and not for thee. He's not for you. God is there to bless me and to smite my enemies. And that's the mindset that a small God mindset has. Uh, God is only for you. He's there to do what uh, you hope he, you, know, you want him to do for you. And he's there to take care of the problems that you've got, and particularly anyone who's against you. But there's also not only no mercy, he's got no trust in God. A small view of God, actually, uh, uh, he's got no sense in which uh, he believes that God might know more than he does. So when he says, uh, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. That's all he said at this point. Um, I'm in my courtroom. The wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me. And Jonah is thinking, well, I can see absolutely no good reason to go to Nineveh, so I'm jolly well not going there. I can't see it. God, you clearly don't know what you're doing, so we won't be going. And a small view of God, this is fascinating, a small view of God actually means that you have no trust in God when God is saying something that is at odds with what you want. Small view of God. You've got no trust in God when God is saying something that is at odds with what you want. You've got no room for the idea that God might know more than you do. And so interestingly, do you see a small, you might think a small view of God makes you kind of, well, I've just got a small view of God, so I'm, I'm, I'm more open-minded. But a small view of God actually makes you more arrogant, not less. It makes you more arrogant because you, you think to yourself, well, I've, I've got a small view of God. I don't actually trust God. I, I largely know what is right. I know what needs to happen. Not you. No mercy, no trust. But I actually think there's a, there's a bigger driver. The, the, the story tells us there, there's a kind of driver underneath those two. Why does he have no mercy? Why does he have no trust? Well, actually, the, the bigger driver comes out through the, uh, the third of these things, which is that Jonah has no awe. He has no awe. Now, that's A-W-E, not O-A-R. Um, I've, I realize it's a boat story, but, you know. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed that, didn't you? Yes. I think we all enjoyed that. Um, uh, he has no awe. He has no fear of the Lord. He has no reverence, no, no sense of God being greater than he is. Uh, no sort of um, uh, awe before him. Now, the sailors are fabulous. The sailors here, the, the writer is using them as a, a kind of way to contrast Jonah. So what you see in the sailors, we, see, we don't see in Jonah. So the, the story as it unfolds, the sailors, you know, they go down, the captain comes down, says to, wakes him up, says, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God, maybe someone, he'll take notice of us, we won't perish. They, um, they decide to cast lots to find out who's responsible. 
Um, it falls to Jonah. They quiz him, lots of questions. Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, Jonah then tells them that he worships the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. They're astonished and terrified by this, and they don't know what to do. They ask him what, he, what they should do. He says, throw me overboard. They say, well, we'll try and row back. Let's give that a go. It doesn't work. And so eventually they do, and then everything calms, and then they make sacrifices, vows, and, and, and just are, are awed by what has happened. And you see a whole series of things happen that they do that Jonah doesn't. So even from the very beginning, they are spiritually alert in ways that he isn't. Verse 6, when they say, look, let's, you know, let's try calling on God. Uh, they're aware that they might have done wrong. Somebody's responsible for this. They're not sure who. They seek spiritual guidance. They cast lots. That's what they would have done then. They're saying, look, we're open to a God that is greater than us. We don't know who it is. If it's your God, we need to deal with this. And they want to know how to relate well to him. What is it we have to do to make this stop? They want to be able to relate to him. And then when, of course, they do, they then make sacrifices and vows. They respond to this God in some way. And you see, taken together, all of those things, what is it they have? They have awe. They have awe. They have reverence. They have fear. They have a sort of coming before this amazing God. And Jonah has no awe got no fear of the Lord. He's got no uh, sense of God being greater than he is. And that is what is underneath that lack of mercy. It's underneath that lack of trust. It's underneath his toxic nationalism, uh, his kind of parochial, it's just me, don't care about you mindsets. It's underneath his, his lack of uh, mercy and his, his kind of trivial view of God and this kind of frankly daft idea that he's going to get in a boat and sail away from God's. He has no awe. And that is why I think the fish makes total sense of this story. That is why the fish makes total sense of this story. Now, you might be somebody here who goes, well, to be honest, when they said a fish came along and swallowed him up, that was where I left it behind, and I'm largely not listening to any of it, because it, it sounds ludicrous. Now, occasionally, stranger things do actually happen. Um, I don't know if you saw this news story. About a year or so ago, um, everything went dark. Humpback whale swallows and spits out diver. That was kind of a turn-up, wasn't it? Um, sometimes I think uh, God just has a very funny sense of humor. Um, uh, the guy apparently uh, was swallowed for maybe about 30 seconds um, before he was spat back out. Says it was very dark inside. Um, uh, about a year ago, there you go, made the news. I kind of thought, hmm, interesting. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. But what if I said, the fish coming along makes total sense of this story and why it's worth believing? You'd be like, well, now you've lost me as well, Paul. But why? What would you do if you were God at this point? What would you do if you were God? Jonah, one of your prophets, <laughs> thinks he can get in a boat and sail away from you. You are the God of the universe. What would you do? Wouldn't you send an almighty, bonkers, huge, supernaturally timed, enormous, crazy fish to swallow him up and go, now, Jonah, how small do you think I am? Don't you think? Wouldn't you do that? At this point in the story, the timing of this, just right at the... Jonah is trying to sail away in a boat as if he can get away from the Lord, and the Lord goes, uh, I don't think he'll be having any of that. And suddenly in comes this, this fish, Swallows him up, and from the middle of that, you kind of think to yourself, you'd be thinking, 
hmm, okay, maybe God's a little bigger than I thought. Christianity is an unashamedly supernatural faith. It's unashamedly supernatural. Uh, Nothing more so than the incarnation, uh, which uh, we actually have a a couple of talks coming on uh, this evening and and next week. I said, actually, a few back at the kind of Christmas season, I said, if you can, to be honest, if you can swallow the incarnation, no pun, um, the rest of the miracles in the Bible are much more straightforward. That God could become man is the most extraordinary miracle. None more so than the incarnation and the resurrection, which we thought about last week. Uh, at Easter, the resurrection, the return uh, to life uh, of Jesus Christ. It is unashamedly supernatural, and I actually find it reassuring. That is the nature of the God that we have, the God who stands over the whole universe. And as we start this series, this is why I think it's such a great question. We're asking, how big is your God? How big is your God? Can you see signs when you have made him small? I reflect on this this week. It's so instinctive to me. I can make God small. And I can make him just about me or just about the things that I've got going on in my life or just about our country or whatever it might be. You can make God small so easily. I know we have um, uh, platformers who are here, our our teenagers, and some of you uh, who are pathfinders have just kind of come up and are joining us. It's a really great... Uh, moment to do. It's a great story, a great moment to kind of to think spiritually, what are you about? What I would say to you is don't lose your awe. Don't lose your sense of reverence and fear and wonder at who God is. If you're here and, you're, you know, and your parents are here as well, nag them at some point and ask them why do they have, have any awe in God? Why do they fear? Why do they, why do they wonder at God? What is it that makes them do that? And what do we do? How do we, how do we not lose our awe? How do we not lose our fear of, or wonder of the, for the Lord? I don't know what it might be for you. There may be different things that you might do. It, for some, it may be to get out into creation, uh, get up on a hillside to look and to wonder and marvel at, at God's handiwork. Uh, the creation declares the glory of the Lord, to wonder at that. Maybe it's to, to pick up a Bible that you haven't read for a while, find, find part of the Bible that you just really uh, just enlivens and, and recaptures your imagination, something that really opens your mind to the Lord's. Maybe it is to get yourself to church. Uh, and I'm aware not everyone can, uh, those who are watching, but I, it's striking that as we come together, as we lift our eyes together to the Lord. I have people who write in um, semi-regularly from around the country because we do live stream, and they write and they thank us, particularly for our music and the way it lifts their souls and points them to the Lord. And we have it here at our fingertips, those of us who are able to come readily. Look around you. I, I marvel as I look out and I see how many nationalities and ethnicities and backgrounds are represented here um, at Platts. And actually to hear the stories of how God has worked in your life from that country and in my life from this one, and, and actually to see that he is the God of the whole world who has been working in the history and nations and individual lives of people from, who are very, very different to me, very different to you, actually marvel at that, to be awed by it that God reaches across our world. How will we recapture? How will we not lose our 
Or what is it you need to pray about, think about, reflect on, chat with others about? How can you do that this week? I'm going to hope as we, uh, we're going to gather together, um, I'll pray in a moment, and then we'll stand and we'll, uh, those who can will sing and use this, this song, hopefully as a way of just reflecting and praying together. Uh, but as we bring that together, I'll leave you with that question. Let's pray together now, and then we'll stand as the music begins. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would, we would raise our eyes to you. We would see afresh again, be rekindled in our imaginations and have an awe of you, a, a reverence, a wonder. Pray you to work in us through this week that we might do that and do it together as a church, uh, help one another in it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.